You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Your heart is making a declaration before God this morning. Now, I don't know what that is for you. It's going to probably be different um, for all of us, but I want to just kind of plant that seed there this morning that your heart is making a declaration before God this morning. We've kind of been in our series where we've been talking about, so help me God, and we've been kind of looking at a lot of areas where we really do need God's help, and without God's help in uh, these areas of our lives, we're never really going to achieve true victory, true freedom, And we're never really going to come into a fullness uh, of our relationship with God and and with each other. And so this morning, I kind of want to turn our attention to the area of our thought life. And I want to look at why it is so important that we look to and ask for God's help in this area of controlling our thought life and talk about some ways that God has given to us through the word to really be able uh, to guard our thought life. By the way, I'm Pastor Jeff. I get people, you know, that come up, they're new to the church, don't know who I am. Uh, That's who I am. Okay. (laughs) Proverbs 4.20 says this, my child, pay attention to what I say. Now, Solomon is writing here, and he says, listen carefully, weigh carefully my words. Don't lose sight of them. Don't forget them. He says, let them penetrate deep into your heart. And then he says this, above all else, guard your heart. For it affects everything you do. Guard your heart because it affects everything you do. Avoid all perverse talk, stay far from corrupt speech, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet and then stick to the path and stay safe. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Now again, I just want to kind of focus there on that verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. Now, that word heart is mentioned over 800 times in the Old Testament and more than 200 times in the New Testament. And in all of those times, it really is a reference to the thought life. Now, Proverbs 23, 7 says this, for as a man or a person thinks in his heart, so is he or she. Now that word heart there, again, it's not referring to our physical heart, that organ that's pumping blood throughout our body. That word heart there that's being used is referring to the mental, to the emotional activity, to the rational, to the emotional elements of who we are. It's the inner seat of our mind, our will, and our emotions, So when we are talking about the heart or we come across that word in scripture, again, it includes, it encompasses uh, the thought life. The, The basic New Testament equivalent of the heart here would be the mind. 
So when Solomon says to us, above all else, guard your heart, again, what he is implying is we need to guard our mind. We need to guard our emotions. We need to guard our thoughts above all else because Solomon said it affects everything you do. So let's begin by looking at three things we need to pay attention to when it comes to guarding our thought life, guarding our hearts, guarding our emotions. The first thing we need to pay attention to is the majesty of the thought life. Now I start here because the thought life is in control. Whether you realize it, whether you acknowledge it, whether you understand it, you need to know the thought life is in control. It is in the driver's seat of your life this morning. It reigns supreme in your life. Again, more than most of us acknowledge or understand, it is the one thing that is driving your life wherever it's going this morning. Another translation of Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. So Solomon is telling us that our thoughts, that our, our thought life is going to control our lives. It's gonna, it's gonna give direction to where our lives are going. Your thoughts, they affect, they control your attitudes. Your attitudes control your actions. Your actions determine the course of your life for good or for bad. So again, it starts with your attitude, your, your hates, your likes, your desires, your will, your emotion, all of these things the scripture talks about, all of that springs forth from the heart. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 15, 19. He said, for from the heart, that inner man, your mind, your will, your emotions, he said, from the heart come forth evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all other sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. So again, it is these attitudes within us that eventually will give birth and turn into actions. And those actions, those attitudes, they then turn into achievements, again, either for good or for bad, for evil, for good. It's like that saying goes, if you sow a thought, you reap a deed. If you sow a deed, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you sow a character, you reap a destiny. Your achievements, are all wrapped up in your thought life. And that's why Solomon says, out of the heart springs forth the issues of life. Out of the thought life, again, springs forth your attitudes, your actions, your achievements. And this is why I wanna call it the majesty of the thought life because our thought life indeed rules, it controls, it reigns supreme, it, it controls us, it makes us, it molds us, and it motivates us. Now, I'm not purposely leaving God out of this equation. It's only God ruling over our hearts. 
our, our inner person through, again, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit that is really going to cause our attitudes, our actions, and our achievements to be righteous and honorable before God. That's why I say this morning, your heart is making a declaration before God this morning. And it is the absence of God in our hearts, the absence of God in our lives that's gonna cause our attitudes, our actions, our achievements to be unrighteous and dishonoring to God. Here's the thing, when God looks at you, first and foremost, he's looking at your heart. What God hears from you first and foremost is the declaration of your heart before him. Regardless of what your words are saying, your heart is speaking a louder, a clearer, a more honest message to God this morning. So when God first looks at you, the thing that God really focuses on and the first thing that God looks at is your heart. Now, we know this from 1 Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel, you remember he is sent to the home of a man named Jesse who had many sons and God sent Samuel there to anoint one of them as the next king over Israel. God had pretty much rebuked and disqualified Saul, who was the present king of Israel, from being king. And, and he said, I'm going to select a new king, and I want you to go to Jesse's house, and it's going to be one of his sons. So Samuel goes, and, and if you remember the story, the very first, the eldest son, Eliab, he walks out, and he comes out with such a presence, physical presence, uh, the scripture's kind of, you know, he's big, he's tall, you know, he's like Fabio, you know? I don't, I don't, is Fabio still popular anymore? He's the only thing I could think of, the only thing that came to mind. And so Samuel kind of looks at him and he's so impressed with his physical appearance that he just reasons in his heart and he says, it's got to be this one. This has got to be the man that God is going to anoint to be next king over Israel. And you remember the story, God cautions the heart of Samuel. And remember what he says? He says, man looks on the outside. God looks at what? The heart. God could see what Samuel could not see. God discerned what Samuel could not discern. And that is he discerned the heart of Eliab. And whatever God saw or heard in that heart declaration of Eliab disqualified him from being the one that God chose. You remember he goes through all of the sons and, and, and Jesse's like, man, uh, that's it. So, so let's just start over with number one. And, and I think as Eliab begins to walk out again, uh, he remembers, ah, there's David. Remember, he goes and gets David and brings David in. And immediately God says, that's the man because of David's heart declaration before God. Your heart is making a declaration before God this morning. When God judges, and, and, and so let me, let, me, let me just, when God weighs, God is weighing the heart. 
When God restores, when God redeems, he's always gonna begin by redeeming, by restoring the heart of man. When God changes you, God is always going to begin by changing the heart. It is all a matter of the heart because out of the heart spring forth, it affects all the issues of life. Now here's something again that's important to remember. God is more concerned about who you are than what you do. Now, it's not saying that God doesn't care about what you do. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear that. But what I'm saying is God is more concerned with who you are, who you're becoming. God is more concerned about your being than your doing. We tend to make it all about what we do, what they don't do, what they say, what they don't say is the most important. God is more concerned with the who. Because who we are will largely determine what we do. And if God is gonna transform or change what we do, he is going to begin by transforming who we are, and that is a work. It is a matter of the heart. It all comes down to the heart, what we think, our desires, our emotions, our will. Remember this, God had to destroy an entire civilization one time because they had major, major heart problems. Genesis 6, 5 says this, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil all the time. And it wasn't long after that that God began to move Noah to begin to build an ark because the thoughts of the human heart had become so evil that God decided he was gonna wipe out mankind and start over. Now on the flip side, when God wants to change us, when God is in that work of transformation, how does God do that? Well, Paul says in Romans 12 too, here's what he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Now, there are good behaviors. There are good customs out there, okay? He's just saying, don't copy any of that, good or bad, but let God transform you into a new person. Well, how is he gonna do that? by changing the way you think. Then, once God changes the way you think, Paul says, then you will know what God wants you to do. And you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Now see, we we wanna say, oh, the will of God, it's perfect, It's pleasing, it's good, but we don't give thought to what precedes that. When I begin to let God change the way I think, it's gonna affect what I do. And I'm just gonna begin to understand and to know and to walk in that good, perfect, pleasing will of my heavenly Father. But I can't do that until he changes the way I think.
Whether you realize it or not, you are the sum total of your thoughts and God will begin to transform and to change you by changing the way you think. Again, you change your thoughts, you're gonna change your attitudes, you change your attitudes, you're gonna change your actions, you change your actions, you're gonna change your achievements. And when you change your achievements, you are going to begin to impact destinies, your own and others. And therefore, the wisdom of Solomon says, above all else, if you don't do anything else, guard your heart. Because all of the issues of life that you're dealing with, all of the issues of life that maybe you struggle with, all the challenges, of they, they all spring forth from that. Second thing we need to do is we need to guard, to guard our thought life is we need to guard the mastery of the thought life. The majesty of the thought life the mastery of the thought life. Second Corinthians 10, beginning in verse four, says, for the weapons of our warfare. We have weapons that God wants us to use and to employ in the warfare that's taking place here upon the earth. God doesn't want us to be victims of that warfare. He wants us to be warriors. He wants us to be conquerors. He wants us to be soldiers. And he has given us weapons in that warfare. And Paul says they are not carnal. But those weapons that God gives us for warfare, they are mighty unto God for the pulling down of strongholds. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about strongholds. A lot of us, we have strongholds that, that Paul says we can pull them down. We just don't know how. We don't know what that looks like. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. So the pulling down, bringing down strongholds, casting away arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, every thought, not just some, every thought, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, taking every thought and enslaving that, making it captive to the obedience of Christ. Listen to this same verse from the Passion Translation. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy and that, that's, what the, that's what the devil, uh, that, that's what he markets in, deceptive fantasies. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist demand that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Apostle Paul says, you take every thought and you make it captive, you enslave it, and you make it obedient to Christ. So according to Paul, our thoughts, our hearts have the potential to become strongholds if we're not careful. We will either master our thoughts or our thoughts are gonna master us. 
We will make our thoughts obedient to Christ or our thoughts are gonna make us obedient to other things other than Christ. So how do we master? I mean, how do we really get on top of the thought life? First of all, you gotta think pure thoughts if you want pure actions. You gotta think pure thoughts if you want pure actions. Philippians 4.8 says this, so keep your what? Thoughts. Occasionally, continually. This is where a lot of, this is where I struggle. I mean, I do good at keeping my thoughts occasionally, maybe like 60, 70% of the time, and you know what, for a lot of us, that's good enough. But that's not what Paul's calling us to. That's not the standard that we're being called to as the body of Christ. We are being called to a much higher standard. And that is, is that we do not just occasionally, but we continually, we are always fixing all our thoughts upon that which is authentic and real, honorable and admirable beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him when it goes good. Always. You laugh because you're just like me, man. This is hard to do. When things aren't going the way you want them to go or you think they should go, Man, it's hard to praise God. It's hard to fix our mind on those things that are good and honorable, authentic and real, merciful and kind. We want to start complaining. We want to start grumbling. But Paul doesn't give any allowance for that at all in Philippians 4. He says, man, you got to continually fix your mind on these things. you got to be praising God always. And it's important to remember the the context in which Solomon was speaking these words in Proverbs 4.23. He's talking to his son. He's imparting wisdom to his son. And he says here, if you're interested in pursuing and living a moral and an honorable life, he says, I'm going to tell you how to do it. And what Solomon is saying to his son and he's saying to us, if you don't want to get into trouble, watch, guard your thought life. In order to guard your heart, to protect your mind, you're gonna have to have your mind changed and transformed. And one of the ways God's gonna do that is you're gonna begin to think pure, righteous, holy, kind, merciful, good thoughts. Now in today's society, man, that is a tall order. In America today, it just kind of seems like the sewer pipe has kind of burst open and pornography and impure thoughts are just kind of flooding the landscape. The internet, again, with all of its wonderful and positive innovations and contributions to our our culture, really has kind of only added to the problem. Seems like in society, uh, you know, today what was horrible yesterday becomes, you know, kind of tolerable today and it becomes a stepping stone for something even worse tomorrow. So if you stop and think about the message of pornography, what is the basic message for pornography and all immorality? 
If you boil it down, it really kind of comes down to this one thought, that sex can be separated from love. That's really the main message, the main idea behind pornography is you can separate sex from love. And God's word teaches the exact opposite. You can't separate love from sex. And the basic message of pornography is that sex is separated from love and thereby separated from commitment, separated from morality, separated from responsibility. And somehow you can take sex and set it aside, compartmentalize it and separate it from the rest of life. And God's word teaches the exact opposite. Now, God's given us many, many wonderful gifts. And one of those beautiful gifts that God's given to us, again, is a powerful sex drive. And don't miss this. The pornographer, the people that are peddling this stuff, they understand this better than we do. Did you know that in America today, pornography is a $12 billion industry a year. Annually, $12 billion a year. According to uh, WebRoot Cybersecurity, 28,258 users are watching pornography every second. $3,075 is spent on pornography every second on the internet. That's more than Hollywood's domestic box office receipts. It exceeds the gross income of ABC, CBS, and NBC combined, which is $6.2 billion. Pornography is the third largest revenue for organized crime in the United States behind drugs and gambling. I don't know how many of you do lottery, you know, go to... Uh, Diamond Joe's, but I just want to let you know you're supporting organized crime. Um, so just think about that when you go and you're laying this money down for lottery tickets, when you're going and laying, you are supporting organized crime. You're welcome. 85% of revenue from pornographic magazines and videos goes into the pocket of organized crime. Much of it untaxed. And the reason the revenue is so high is because the average porn film can be made for about $20,000 to $125,000. And then they turn around and they're able to make probably up to $2 million in profit from retail sales. Some estimate that as many as 80% of video stores now rent pornography. There are now more outlets in the United States for pornography than there are McDonald's restaurants. According to one website research company that studied just one porn site in particular, it was called Pornhub, they discovered the following. In just 2017, in one year, this particular porn site had over 28.5 billion searches in just one year. 
81 million visits per day, 50,000 searches per minute, 800 searches per second, calculating to over 25 billion searches in just one year. They had over 4 million videos uploaded. That means you take a video of yourself and then you can upload it. Um, And they had enough content on their website alone that you could spend 68 years and still not see it all. Over 3,732 pentabytes of information was transferred through one website, enough to fill the memory of every iPhone on earth. This is just, again, one porn site. In 2008, the company Hitwise cataloged 40,634 websites that distributed pornography. I can imagine that that number has only escalated in the last decade. I, I tell you all of this to ask the question, why is the devil who's behind all of this, why is he up to his ears in all of this business regarding pornography? Because he knows, he understands If he can change your thoughts, he can change your attitude. And if he can change your attitude, he can change your actions. And if he can change your actions, he can affect your achievements. If he can affect your achievements, he can control your destiny. So the devil wants all of this garbage to be put in our minds. He wants to get our brains fixated and addicted to pornography because he knows the outcome of what it'll do. And I'm not here this morning to condemn anyone who may be struggling with this issue. Statistics say there are probably over 50% of the people in every church across America that are struggling with an addiction to pornography. So if that's true, there's probably about half of us in this room that have struggled or are struggling with this right now. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to start speaking on the subject of shame because this is what entraps a lot of people in that. It's shame. They're ashamed to admit it. They're ashamed to own it. They're ashamed to bring it out in the light. One of the things we're going to talk about is shame thrives in secrecy. Shame flourishes. It thrives in secrecy. Do you know what happens to shame when you bring it out into the light? When you confess it? When you own it? It disappears. Shame thrives in secrecy. The devil understands that. So I'm not here this morning. If you're one of those that are or have struggled with that in the past, we are not here to stand in judgment of you at all. We do pray that God will bring conviction to your heart, not condemnation. God is not going to heap shame on you. That's the devil. That The devil traffics in that. The devil works in, in condemnation and shame. God works in conviction. 
because God is about drawing us towards him, not pushing us away. And I'll tell you what, when you begin to confront this issue, the first thing you're gonna run into when you, when you begin to confront God is it's not his anger and his wrath, it's his goodness, because the scripture says that it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. And that's what God is after this morning. He's after repentance. And the way that God's gonna do that is when you confront God, you're gonna confront his goodness and his kindness because that's the last thing you expected to confront with God. A baseball bat, maybe. <laughs> Harsh words, possibly. But the truth of scripture is when you come to God with this or any other issue that separates you from God, the thing that you will encounter, the thing that you will meet from your heavenly father is his goodness. It is his kindness. It will shock you. It will overwhelm you. It will draw you in. It will, it, it, it will motivate you to say, God, do what only you can do. Change my heart. time. Okay. Solomon says this in Proverbs 6, 27, and he's asking a rhetorical question. Can a man carry fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? I was going to have Jim do that this morning uh, as a visual. Once again, he refused. He's asking a rhetorical question there. Is it possible for a man to carry fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? And he's saying, of course not. It's not possible. Can a man walk upon hot coals and bare feet and not have his feet get burned? He's saying, no, of course not. It's not possible. So to master your mind, you have got to focus, you've got to fix, you've got to think pure thoughts. Now, it's not enough to say, I'm, I'm going to think pure thoughts. How are you going to think pure thoughts if you don't have something to help you think pure thoughts? Do you know the way to not think something impure is to think something pure? The way to not think about something impure is to choose to fix, to focus your mind on something that is pure. Solomon said something very profound in Proverbs 4.20, just before he got into this whole thing on guarding our hearts above all else, he said, my child, pay attention. Give heed to what I'm about to tell you. Listen carefully, weigh carefully my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate your heart deeply. Solomon says, man, you got to get the word of God. You got to get it in front of your eyes. You got to get it in front of your heart. You got to get it in your ears. Did you know that God wonderfully created us and he specifically designed us in a way that we can only think one thought at a time? Did you know that? You can only think one thought at a time. Now, now some of you may be thinking where you're going for, for lunch afterwards. But you can only think one thought at one time. Isn't that wonderful? That's good news. You know why it's good news? Because 
If I'm thinking about what's righteous, I can't be thinking about what's unrighteous. If I'm fixed upon what is pure, I can't be fixed upon what is impure. If I'm thinking about things that are worthy, I can't be at the same time thinking about things that are unworthy. I choose, I decide what I'm gonna fix my thoughts upon. Guard your hearts. He says, guard your minds. Let the good come in, flow in. Let the godly flow in. Keep the bad stuff out because it affects everything you do. And he says, out of it spring the issues of life. The things that are happening in your life this morning, if you would take the time, you can trace it back to things that are going on in your heart. And if you want to change the things that are happening in your life, you got to change the way you're thinking. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, we're, we're out of time. I'm just going to close with this. We're going we're gonna to pray into this this morning. Psalm 51. Man, thank God just for repentance. Amen. Repentance, folks, it's not a one-time thing. We repent, you know, of everything and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and never need to repent again. Repentance is one of those beautiful words we can use, we need to use every day, all the time. God, I just repent of that. I'm sorry, God, change me. So Psalm 51, it, it, it's, a, it's a scripture I go back to time and time again because it is the confession of David after he committed sin with Bathsheba. Man, if you, if you ever wonder what, what repentance looks like, if you ever find yourself in a place where you wanna repent but you don't know exactly what to do, the words, Psalm 51, it is the recipe for repentance. And there's this beautiful thing that, that happens in this process of repentance with David. And, and it happens um, there in uh, verse 10. Here's what he says, create in me a pure heart. He starts with that. God, create in me a clean heart. That's, that is my prayer this morning. God, create in me a clean heart. Because it all begins there. It all starts from there. Renew a loyal, steadfast spirit within me. You can't have that loyal, steadfast spirit within you until you ask God to create a clean heart in you. It begins there. That is our place this morning. That was David's prayer. It's our prayer. It was David's heart cry. Let it be our heart cry. God, create in me a clean heart. Because it's in the heart that all of the issues of life are springing forth. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, again, we just thank you. I just feel this morning that there is just an atmosphere. God is creating an atmosphere. God is opening an atmosphere here this morning of repentance. That whatever's going on in our hearts this morning that, that may be impure, that may be unworthy of God, that may be dishonoring of God or others or even of ourselves this morning, 
That God's giving us the opportunity this morning to just again say, God, create in me a clean, a right, a beautiful, a God-honoring heart this morning. Let it begin there in our hearts. That God, whatever we're addicted to, if it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, shopping, eating, whatever it is that we're addicted to, that God, to ask you to break the addiction but not create in us a clean heart, God will only go back to those addictions because those addictions are coming forth from an unclean heart. So God, it begins with the heart this morning. Create in us, renew in us, transform in us this morning a clean heart before you. And God, from that clean heart, we'll go on to think pure, lovely thoughts that God will begin to go forth and live lives that are a reflection of the good, the perfect, pleasing will of our heavenly Father. Oh, that is our desire this morning, to please you, to pursue you this morning. And God, we can only do that with a clean and a pure heart. And you're the only one that can clean it, that can transform it, that can change it. And God, we ask for that this morning. We thank you for your power, your presence in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.